All right, it's time for our third introductory lesson in Proverbs. Um, last week, we looked at the goals and the purposes of the book. We want to know wisdom and instruction. We want to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings. We want the, the simple to gain prudence. We want young people to gain that skill in planning. We want to understand these words of wisdom. And all that's found in verses 2 through 6. And those are some, to use Brother Connor's words after the lesson last week, some dense verses. There's just a lot in those verses. But if we want any of those purposes to come to fruition, it starts with verse 7. And tonight we will only look at verse 7 in Proverbs chapter 1. We'll look at other places in Scripture, but it's going to be focused on Proverbs 1-7. And we'll really dive into the phrase, fear the Lord. That phrase is so big it's, it, that we're not going to come close to exhausting it tonight. But I hope that we'll leave here tonight with a much better understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. Just about any commentary that you pick up on Proverbs will list Proverbs 1-7 as the key verse to the book or the, the thematic verse of the book. In Proverbs 1-7, Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I have no issue whatsoever with saying this is the thematic verse of Proverbs, that this is sort of the key that unlocks everything else. But there is something interesting uh, in chapter 9 and verse 10. We have a very similar verse. And it's, it's in that verse that Solomon says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So there's some similarity between these two verses. And I think for me why it's interesting is because the first nine chapters are quite different from the rest of the book. It's not until we get to chapter 10 uh, that we start to see those quick truth nuggets that Proverbs is so famous for. And so Solomon sort of bookends the first nine chapters with this reminder that the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. He starts in verse 7 of chapter 1 uh, with this, and then towards the end of chapter 9, he reminds us about it again. And so we begin the book with this foundational statement. And then right before we get into the quick Proverbs, he reminds us once again that it's crucial in understanding this book and in gaining true wisdom and true skillful living for God. It starts with fearing Him. And we talked about this a little bit in our very first lesson, just about how foundational it is to fear the Lord and, and wisdom has to come from Him. But we're going to spend more time on that tonight. You know, if, if fearing the Lord is so important, and if, if it is so foundational for true wisdom, what is it? But before we dive into sort of what fear is and what this fear aspect is, we needed to find who we're fearing, first of all. Who is this Lord that we're supposed to fear? And if you look in your, uh, uh, in your, in your Bible, it may seem obvious to you, right, who the Lord is. You, you sort of know where I'm going to go with this. But if you notice in your, in your translation... You may see the word Lord in all capital letters. And that's an important thing to note. When your Bible, uh, if you have a translation that does this, and I think most English translations do, if you see the word Lord or the word God in all capital letters, this is actually an indication that the Hebrew word is not the generic word Lord or God. 
but rather the personal revealed name of God, which we would say Yahweh or Jehovah. And thinking about fear of Yahweh or, or Jehovah and thinking about this name of God should send us all the way back to Exodus because that's how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. You may remember that when God told Moses to go back to Egypt and deliver his people from slavery, Moses was a little concerned that the Israelites might start asking questions. And he said, what am I supposed to say if they say, who sent you? What's, what's the name of this God? And God answered, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And then in Exodus 3.15 God's words are this, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, and that's all capital letters again, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. In Exodus 3.15, we see this uh, name, Jehovah, Lord, in all capital letters. It's not just generic uh, generic for master or sovereign. It's Jehovah. And it's specifically the same name, the same word that Solomon uses now in Proverbs. And it's closely related to that designation of God being the I am, being the self-existing one. And there's, there's a couple of reasons why it's important for us to, to recognize this, even though maybe it seems obvious to us, but it's important to recognize this as we begin Proverbs for at least two reasons. First, I mentioned in one of our previous lessons that Proverbs is not a book of wisdom that's just dropped out of nowhere, but that it fits within a context. It fits within the overall framework of the entire Old Testament. And part of that was the fact that Solomon wrote it. And we know that Solomon's a king of Israel. And we know that Solomon's a son of David. And so it sort of links back all that together. But here is another huge piece of the puzzle that puts Proverbs into the right context is that the specific God we're dealing with is the same God that called Abraham out of Ur, the same God that made a covenant with him, the same God that made a covenant with Isaac and with Jacob. It's the God that appeared to Moses at the burning bush and delivered the Israelites out of slavery. And so Solomon connects Proverbs all the way back to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and the whole Old Testament by using the name Jehovah. Solomon didn't invent this phrase, fear, fear of the Lord. He didn't invent this term or this name for God. He would have grown up hearing this. He would have grown up learning about Jehovah from the law and from his father David. And so it's important that we see this connection that Proverbs isn't just a random book, and so we're not dealing with some random deity. We're talking about Jehovah. And the next, the next important thing I want you to see is that knowledge and wisdom then come only from fearing Him. You can't find wisdom and knowledge through just any so-called God. We're dealing specifically with Jehovah. And that's important 
One reason is because in the ancient world, many people were polytheistic. Right? They believed in the existence of multiple gods. And some people even served multiple gods themselves. They would probably claim to fear those gods. But what if their god wasn't Jehovah? Can you gain wisdom by just fearing any god, any deity? And the answer is absolutely not. Because this is specifically talking about fearing Jehovah. And that's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. There is no wisdom that you can find in the Canaanite god Baal. The Egyptian false gods cannot bring you knowledge. Dagon of the Philistines can't give you skillful living. It's Jehovah and no one else. And that hasn't changed. And then we need to realize how important that is because the world we live in is a little different than maybe the polytheistic world of, of the ancient Near East, but there's another danger that might sort of lessen the specificness of this being Jehovah only here. And, and what I mean by that is that in our world, at least in our Western world, relativism has replaced polytheism as a dangerous ideology. And you can maybe define relativism in different ways, but what I mean by relativism is the thought that there is no absolute truth. There's truth and value in, in anything. In all religions, all philosophies, it's politically incorrect to tell someone that they're wrong. And perhaps the religion that works for you isn't the religion that works for them. This world would tell you you can find wisdom from Confucius and Buddha and Muhammad and any other founder of any other world religion. Maybe atheists and agnostics would say that the simple quest for physical information or gaining that kind of knowledge is the path to true wisdom or enlightenment. But we have to realize at the outset of this journey in Proverbs that wisdom has everything to do with Jehovah and no one else. No one else. And since that's true, since we're dealing solely with the personal God of the Bible, not just some abstract concept or any other so-called deity, there's one more point I want to make, and that's that wisdom is not about religion, but it's about a relationship. The fact that wisdom has everything to do with the God who created you Wisdom has everything to do with the God who sent His Son so that you could have a relationship uh, with Him. That makes this quest for wisdom all of a sudden very personal and relational. It's less about gaining information and a lot more about cultivating our relationship and fellowship with Jehovah God. So first of all, when we talk about fearing the Lord, we have to realize what Lord we're talking about. It's nobody except the God of the Bible. It is, it is Jehovah. But what exactly does it mean to fear Him? Well, according to one very famous uh, Old Testament Hebrew lexicon, this Hebrew word for fear, the root word, has five different connotations uh, in Scripture, five kind of different ways that it's used, different nuances, and we'll, we'll look at these. And the first two are probably what normally comes to your mind when you think of fear. It's the idea of the emotion of fear or even just this maybe fearful anticipation of something about to happen. And we see that in the Old Testament. We sort of know that in our lives. Um, when we think of the word fear, we think of being scared of something. 
We think of this anticipation that, that something bad's about to happen. It's a very emotional word. Our knees start shaking and we start, you know, biting our fingernails. It's that, it's that kind of fear. And listen, that's not completely absent from the thought of fearing God. I read one man who said, anyone who can think of God and just shrug is not thinking of the God of Scripture. You don't know God if you can just go, eh. You remember in Exodus when God descended upon Mount Sinai? What the Israelites felt like then? God descended upon Mount Sinai in thick clouds and smoke and lightnings, and the mountain was, was quaking. There were earthquakes at the arrival of God, and the Israelites were quite literally scared. One place in Exodus 19 says all the people in the camp trembled. The mountain wasn't the only thing quaking. And then in Exodus chapter 20, immediately following the Lord giving what we call the Ten Commandments, we read this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. That's some fear, isn't it? When we come face to face with the all-powerful, all-knowing, holy God, it's beyond humbling. There is some emotion of that fear. That's not wrong. But that's only a, a very small aspect of what we're talking about when we use this phrase, fearing the Lord. There's three other ways that this uh, word is used. Uh, one is, is what you hear probably many times uh, from Baptist preachers or from, from, from Christians today that there's an idea of this reverential awe when we talk about fearing God. This, this reverence or this awe, um, it, it's not necessarily this emotional fear in the sense of dreading something bad's going to happen or anything like that, but it's, it's this respect, humility, um, absolute reverential awe towards God. And, and I've probably said this before, and you, you may have heard this before, that fearing God isn't being afraid of, of God. It, it doesn't mean that we walk around scared to death that, that the first mess up, God's going to zap us with a lightning bolt. First of all, that's a complete misunderstanding of the character of God. And if He were truly like that, none of us would be here, Right? So if, if, you, if you think of God like that, you don't really know him very, very much. But it's also a failure to realize that this fear has a lot to do with what we might just call holy fear. It's reverential awe. It's a respect, a humility, because you're aware of who God is, and you're also aware of who you are. And that's nothing in the, in the presence of God. And now some of these, these first three things... Um, the emotion of fear and the anticipation of something happening, and then, and then especially this reverential awe, they may, not, may or may not be news to you when you think of fearing God. You may have heard that for a long time. But there are two other ways this word fear is used, and they sort of go together a little bit, and they give us a whole lot of insight as to what Solomon meant when he talked about fearing the Lord. One of the ways this phrase is used is it, it speaks of righteous behavior 
Another way it's used, it speaks of even formal religious worship. So I'm going to sort of link those together a little bit and just say that fearing God is associated with righteous actions and with worshiping Him according to His standards. That may be a little different than what you've thought about sometimes in your life of, of fearing God. But I'm going to, I want to show you with several scriptures that fearing God has a close connection with obedience. We're going to start by, by kind of thinking back to Exodus 20 again, where, where we left off all ago when we just talked about that emotional fear that the Israelites had. And in Exodus 20, verse 20, Moses responds to the people after they said, don't let God talk to us. You, you can be the mediator, but we don't want to hear from God. And in Exodus 2.20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. This verse is fascinating to me because Moses begins the verse by telling them, Don't be afraid. He says, Don't fear. But then he says, God's fear should be before you. So what's, what gives here, Moses? Is he contradicting himself in the same verse? He's not contradicting himself, but he's giving us a reason or a purpose behind all this. There should be a result of this fear. It's not that you, he says, don't fear in the sense that, that you have that terror that God's going to zap you with a lightning bolt on the first mess up. God's point was not to scare you to death. His point was that his fear may be before you that you may not sin. The purpose and result of fearing God is not to be scared, but to be obedient. And God just gave them the Ten Commandments. And so fearing God should have promoted obedience within the hearts and the lives of the Israelites. If they truly feared him then they wouldn't sin and they'd keep these commandments that he just gave them. Don't fear. God's come to test you so that his fear may be before you that you don't sin. There's other verses uh, in the Old Testament that give uh, this connection of fearing God with obedience. And, and I'm going to give you a few here. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 24, Moses wrote, And the Lord commanded us to do these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. There you see the connection of God commanding certain statutes to be kept, and it's just coupled with fearing Him. In Joshua 24, 24, we read, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. There's again this connection between serving Him, obeying Him, and fearing Him. And 1 Samuel 12, 24 says something very similar. Fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. In all these verses, and there's many more, there's this connection between fearing God and doing what He says. Fearing God and keeping His commandments and serving Him. There's a couple more I'm going to give you on the next slide here. In Ecclesiastes 12:13, Solomon himself says, Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In Job 28, 28, which... I think we is our first lesson. We, we reference this. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. 
Now, the difference between Ecclesiastes and Job here with some of the other, uh, other verses we've looked at is that these verses, you can see, uh, don't specifically use the name Jehovah in these verses, but we know that Jehovah is the God that Solomon's referring to and the author of Job is referring to. They just don't simply make that connection here. But we still see this, this connection between fearing Him and obeying Him. Fearing Him and turning away from sin. Fearing Him and keeping His standard. Now we're going to see that in, in Proverbs too. And I'm going to give you two more, two more verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 8.13, Solomon will say, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And in 1923, Solomon says, By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. These are just a few verses that show this close connection between fear and obedience. And if we really think about it, I think it makes sense. And I'll give you an example. I'll just use parents and children nowadays. Children are to fear their parents, not in the sense that they're scared, uh, scared of them that, that way, but in the sense that there should be this reverence and respect for them, right? And if a child truly respects the parents, then it's not just lip service. It's not just yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. It's not just an emotion, but the child will actually obey because he or she respects not just the parents, but respects the expectations of the parents. Let me give you a silly example. Let's say a parent has a rule that the child cannot ride his bicycle in the house. This hasn't happened at our house, by the way. This is just a silly example. The parents have a rule, you can't ride your bicycle in the house. Well, what does it tell you about the child if he rolls his bike in and starts pedaling around the living room? His disobedience has proved he lacks fear of his parents. There's no respect there. Same is true with you and with me and with God. Our disobedience is proof of our lack of fear. But let's make it positive, right? The reverse is true as well. Obedience goes hand in hand with fear. When we turn from evil and we do what God has commanded, that is fearing Him. That's what it is. It's obeying what God's commanded us to do. But that sort of brings up another issue, right? How does the child know he shouldn't ride his bike in the living room? The parents have to tell him, right? Hmm. So how do I know what God wants? How do I know what God's commanded me to do? How do I know what he wants me to turn away from? He's got to tell me. So there's an aspect of fearing God that means we actually have to learn from God because He's got to reveal Himself to us. We have to learn to fear God. And that might seem really strange. Learn to fear Him. But I'm going to give you a few verses and sort of give you a few examples of this. And one, uh, one is kind of sad and another couple good, good verses. But in 2 Kings chapter 17, the context of 2 Kings 17 is that uh, the northern kingdom has been deported. Assyria has taken over. And the king of Assyria has transplanted people into the land of the northern kingdom of Israel. And these people were pagans. They didn't know anything about Jehovah. They didn't know anything about his standards. They didn't know anything about how to worship him. And so notice what happens in 2 Kings 17 verse 25. The writer says, They did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. 
disobedience had some consequences. And so we skip down to verse 28 and we read, So one of the priests taught them how they should fear the Lord. One of the priests taught them how they should fear the Lord. The king of Assyria, when he found out about this, he actually sent a priest to teach them to teach them this. He said, we can't have our transplants being mauled by lions all the time. We've got to do something about it. We've got to, we've got to figure out how the God of this land, uh, what his standards are and what he expects from people. And so this priest went to teach them that. Unfortunately, in this instance, the people didn't really obey. Uh, in 2 Kings 17 here, they, they may have learned some of God's requirements. They may have learned some of his standards and maybe how he, uh, what he required in his worship. But the subsequent verses in 2 Kings here, they talk about how instead of just selling out for Jehovah, they, they developed this, this syncretistic religion that was just this amalgamation of everything they knew and some of the stuff the priests taught them, and it was just it is pitiful in the Lord's eyes. So 2 Kings 17.33 says, So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. That's one of the strangest verses in the whole Old Testament to me. They feared the Lord. I think in this sense, knowing the context, it's that they now know what he expected. They sort of knew what he expected, especially with maybe a formal worship setting, but they didn't break with their idolatry. And so that didn't please God at all. Going through the motions is just legalism. But that is a really fascinating and sort of sad story about teaching someone to fear God. But we do have more positive examples, and, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of those. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, this is where Moses is reminding the people of their experience at Mount Sinai and what God said to him. And, and uh, these are the, the, the Lord's words that he gave to Moses. Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me. Hopefully hearing from God would teach the people how to fear him. God had to speak, uh, had to speak his words. He had to reveal things to them so that they could properly fear him. Just like a parent has to say, you can't ride your bike in the living room. That has to be revealed. God has to reveal this his standards, what to expect, so that we know. How can you obey something or follow a teaching that you've never even heard of? You don't even know what it is. It's a fair question, right? So God said, I, I wanted you to gather them to me so that they could hear my words, so that they could learn to fear me. Later in Deuteronomy, there were laws given about future kings in Israel. They didn't even have a king at that time, but God knew the future. And he gave laws about future kings. And part of that section says this. It's something that the king should be doing. Deuteronomy 17, 19 says, He, that's the king, he shall read in the copy of the law all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. And the end of the verse says this. By keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That's a wonderful verse that sort of ties it all together and pulls it all together. We need to learn to fear the Lord, which means we have to hear from Him about how to do that. So we have to study His Word. We have to find out what He's revealed to us, and then we've got to obey it. 
And then we do it. I read one man who said, you know, these, when we're talking about fear, and there's all five of these things, the emotion, the anticipation, the reverence, the, uh, the, the righteous living and obedience, and then knowing what he wants in worship, and all these things together. And he said, maybe we could even think that, 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 that emotion of fear or that reverential awe that we have towards God is actually what motivates our obedience anyway. If I don't really have a, a, a humble awe for, for God, why would I obey him in the first place? One, one motivation to obey God is because we realize who he is and, and there's some awe there at who he is. But we have to know what he says. One author said this. It's really simple, but I love this quote. He said, the Bible's answer is simple. Fear for God is produced by the Word of God. That's almost so logical, it's too easy, isn't it? <laughs> Just think about it. If wisdom and knowledge begin with fearing the specific God, Jehovah, then I need to learn more about Him. And I can only do that by using what He has revealed, which sends us back to His Word in the first place. So desiring wisdom and or fearing God, they both send you back to his word. Just like wisdom can't be acquired from any other so-called God, you also don't learn from Jehovah from just any other so-called book. It has to be his book. It has to be the word of God. It has to be the Bible. Because that's where he revealed to us what he wants us to know about his nature and what he expects from us. And when we know what he expects from us and we follow it, then we're showing that we have that skill in living for him. We're applying that wisdom in our lives. So fearing God entails a lot more than just emotion. It's not emotionless, but it's a lot more than just emotion. We should have uh, a healthy awe of God, that reverential respect for God in our hearts and that humility, but it also involves learning his word and then obeying it, putting it into practice. What did Jesus say a wise man was in the Sermon on the Mount? He hears my words and does them. That's the man that has built a foundation for his life. If you hear him and don't do them, it's a back, back to obedience. Fearing Jehovah is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. I want to stress that word uh, beginning for just a moment. We've seen the word knowledge earlier in verse 4. Um, in verse 7 here, I think that Solomon's using it sort of as a, uh, as a synonym for wisdom. It has the idea of knowledge, understanding, skill, all of those things. And later on in verse nine, anyway, uh, chapter 9 anyway, he's going to say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I don't think... Uh, we want to separate what knowledge and wisdom are and sort of break those out uh, uh, too harsh. But this is the beginning of, of wisdom and of knowledge. One author says, beginning refers to the first and controlling principle rather than a stage which one leaves behind. You don't enter into the world of wisdom or the world of knowledge through the doorway of fearing Jehovah and then you leave the door and forget all about it. 
all wisdom is built upon fearing Jehovah. It, it's, it's more like a foundation. It's all built on that. Just like you cannot abandon the alphabet when you get out of kindergarten. Well, I, I don't need that anymore. I don't, need to, I don't need to know my letters anymore and what they sound like. The letters are the building blocks for everything else you're ever going to learn, right? How can you ever read a textbook or turn in a paper or do anything else if you don't remember your alphabet that you learned in kindergarten? You don't move beyond that. The same thing with fear of the Lord. You don't ever move beyond that. I read this quote in our first lesson, but it, it deserves to be read again. One author said, The fear of the Lord is both a doorway and a pathway. It's a new beginning and it never ends. But since fearing the Lord involves obedience, which if you're anything like me, obeying God means you've got to change your life. It's going to involve repentance. It's going to involve correction and discipline that we talked about last week, that word instruction. Then not everyone is going to see the value of that or not everyone is going to be willing to pay that price. And Solomon gives us the other side of the coin, right? The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of knowledge. What about the reverse? He says fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the other side of the coin. These words, wisdom and instruction, are the same words he used in verse 2. It's the purpose of Proverbs. It's for us to gain these things. Fools don't want them. They don't want them. They despise it. The word despise is a pretty harsh word. It has the idea of thinking so little of something that you treat it as insignificant. You look down on it. You, you, you reject it. It's the same root word is used to describe how Esau felt about his birthright. Eh, that's, that's not worth much. I'd rather have some stew. He despised it. He didn't think much of it at all. It's from the same word that, um, that described King David's rejection of God and his word when he sinned with Bathsheba. It wasn't that David didn't know committing adultery was wrong. He didn't care about it right then. He despised it. He rejected it. He didn't think enough of it to actually obey it at that moment in his life anyway. A foolish person has that attitude about wisdom and instruction. It's not worth it. I'm not going to change my life for that. But I want you to think about this. Since, since we know and we've seen that wisdom's built upon fearing God and not just information, then doesn't this fool have more than just an intellectual problem? The fool has a spiritual problem. Think about it. If you're belittling wisdom and instruction and that comes from God, then you're basically, ultimately, belittling God Himself. It's not worth it for me to hear from God. I don't want Him to change me. That's a fool. So who are we going to be as we start this study? You say, I thought we started. We've had three lessons now. I told you this was introduction number three. You can be a fool. Nobody's going to force you to do this. I read one man that said, uh, the, the, God gives wisdom not just to the curious, but to the serious. You've got to take this serious. 
You can be a fool and you can despise the skill and the instruction that comes from God's Word. That just simply shows you despise God in the first place. Or hopefully we can fear God. And we can let the one who made this universe teach us how to live skillfully in it. And I said skillfully, not necessarily successfully. We might be successful in the world's eyes, but maybe not. But we'll definitely live in a way that pleases God. That's what we want. That's, that's wisdom. So let's have a little recap and a little conclusion application tonight. First of all, remember that fearing God is foundational to true wisdom. That verse uh, 7 of chapter 1 there that we spent time in tonight, it's the theme verse for, for the entire Proverbs. Uh, it's, it's not just a starting point. It's the always abiding, ever controlling principle. You don't abandon it. It's like the letters of the alphabet. You can't throw them away. This is the building block that everything's built on. Fearing God's foundational to true wisdom. And secondly, remember just what fearing God entails. It's, it's in a lot more than just emotion. There's emotion there, sure. There's, there's humility there, and there's reverential awe there. But there's also learning from Him that's required so that you know how to obey Him. So remember that, that, that learning from Him and obeying Him is a big part of fearing God. It's, it's not just emotion. It's a lot of action involved in it. And then we sort of started talking tonight about who this Lord is. And remember that Wisdom comes only from fearing Jehovah. No other so-called God will do. Following any other so-called religion won't cut it. Obeying just any commands of any old philosophy, it won't produce wisdom. We must have a relationship with the personal God of the Bible. How does that happen? It happens through Jesus Christ. In fact, in the New Testament, you know we never see the name Jehovah used? It's used all over the Old Testament. But we never see the name Yahweh or Jehovah in the New Testament. And there's an awesome reason for that. It's because Jehovah became a man that we know as Jesus Christ. And so wisdom comes only from fearing Jehovah, and He is Jesus Christ. God himself became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could have forgiveness. Since we don't perfectly fear him, since we don't perfectly obey his commands, either something had to be done to us or for us. Thankfully, Jesus came and he kept the standard on our behalf, including the standard of fearing God perfectly. There's one verse in Isaiah I want to uh, read to you here, and you here can, can see it. Isaiah 11:2. Notice what Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. He says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. 
We've seen a lot of these words already in Proverbs, right? Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And I mentioned that Jesus is the embodiment of these things. He is, the, he is walking, talking, breathing, living wisdom. And now we see he's also the embodiment of fearing the Lord. Not once did Jesus fail to have a proper respect for his heavenly Father. Not once did he fail to obey what he knew God's standard was or the, what the Word taught. Not once. And yet he sacrificed his life so that sorry sinners like you and me could be forgiven. One man wrote this, look at the cross. You see a wise man hanging there, dying in the place of fools like you because he loves you. You may despise him, but he does not despise you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's no point in searching for knowledge or wisdom or going on any journey down that path at all because the foundation for those things is a relationship with God through His Son. If you'll trust Him, He'll forgive you. Then your journey can begin. Then you can grow in your fear of Him, learning more about Him, hopefully growing in your obedience to Him. Because Jesus Christ already did everything perfectly for you if you'll trust Him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, And Lord, tonight we just pray that we will be humbled before you with that reverential awe. But Lord, we pray that you'll teach us from your word and that we'll we'll obey it, that we'll put it into practice in our lives uh, and help that to to lay the foundation for, for the wisdom and the knowledge that we hope to gain from Proverbs, Lord, so that we can live skillfully for you. We can serve you uh, in a way that pleases you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for Jesus Christ. And we pray for the salvation of lost souls. And we pray for those who are saved that we will just be more committed uh, to fearing you every day of our lives, just like Jesus did. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We pray you are encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.